This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Hello and welcome to this BMJ Best Practice podcast on chronic sinusitis. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm clinical director at BMJ. Chronic sinusitis is a common and serious problem. It affects about 10% of the adult population in the UK. It occurs in all ages, sexes, and ethnic groups, and it can seriously affect the quality of life of patients. To tell us about this problem, we have on the line Professor Raj Sidwani, Section Head of Rhinology, Sinus, and Skull-Based Surgery at the Head and Neck Institute, Cleveland Clinic Foundation. Raj is Editor-in-Chief of the American Journal of Rhinology and Allergy, and most importantly, he's author of our BMJ Best Practice Topic on this condition. So Raj, you're welcome. Let's start off by asking, what exactly is chronic sinusitis? Thank you, Karen, for having me. Uh, Chronic sinusitis is a chronic inflammatory condition that affects the sinuses that last greater than three months in duration. It's also categorized as being chronic sinusitis with polyps or chronic rhinosinusitis without polyps. You'll notice I sometimes go back and forth between the term chronic sinusitis, as you mentioned, and chronic rhinosinusitis, abbreviated CRS, which is actually the preferred terminology. Okay, thank you. And how do you make the diagnosis? Well, the diagnosis of chronic rhinosinusitis is made, like with many other conditions, by history and physical examination, and sometimes also using imaging. Importantly, the physical examination of a patient with sinus and nasal complaints in the hands of an otolaryngologist or ENT surgeon also includes a detailed examination deep within the nose using different types of endoscopes or telescopes. In, in an average patient, I, I, I wonder, how is the diagnosis made? Is it largely to history and clinical examination and what patients might need further tests? So beginning first with the history, many people, you know, I mentioned the diagnosis needs to have uh, consist of symptoms lasting at least three months. Many people suffer from this, as you said in your introduction, for many years. The key symptoms that we look for are divided into major and minor symptoms. Uh, And the diagnosis is made with either two major or one major and two minor. This is a constellation of symptoms. And the major ones include facial pain or pressure, nasal blockage, nasal discharge, or post-nasal drip changes in diminished smell, facial congestion, and on examination, you may see purulence coming out from one of the sinuses, and in the acute setting of uh, an exacerbation, you can even have fever. Some of the minor symptoms that one might not associate with chronic sinusitis include things like headache or pain, bad breath, fatigue, dental pain, or even cough, and things like ear pressure. Okay, thank you. And what What tests might you do in the average patient? So once we've failed medical therapy in the average patient with chronic sinusitis, we would always want to look deeply in the nose with that endoscopy procedure. And then after medical treatment, we often will recommend a CT scan. A CT scan does give you a little zap of radiation, as everyone knows, but it is the gold standard test for imaging the sinuses, which after all are pneumatized or air-filled cavities within the facial bones. 
That's why the CT is the preferred test. Okay, and I know we're jumping around a little bit now, but what? how would you define failed medical therapy and then decide there are further things that need to be looked at? That's a good question. Failed medical therapy is essentially uh, based on history and some examination as well, where the patient, despite a prolonged course of antibiotics, a nasal steroid spray, and sometimes uh, systemic steroids or steroids by mouth, still has persistent or recurring symptoms. The examination also is important. I mentioned at the outset that we categorize chronic sinusitis as being that with polyps or without polyps. Sometimes if our endoscopy shows polyps, we kind of jump forward a bit. Those polyps can sometimes be completely filling the nose and sinuses even on exam. In that case, we would turn more to steroid treatment and then get a scan sooner rather than later because often those polyps do not just melt away with medical treatment. Tell us about the common pitfalls in diagnosis. The main pitfalls in diagnosis have to do with the fact that many other uh, disease processes also can affect the nose and can cause nasal or sinus symptoms. I mentioned pressure and headache. Of course, people can have migraines or other true headache disorders, but think that they have a sinus problem. Common other co-founders can include things like viral infections or URIs. We are, of course, in the middle of a pandemic. So things like COVID-19 can present with prolonged nasal symptoms, changes in smell, and so on. And then other conditions that you may not think of, cystic fibrosis, nasal polyps, immunodeficiency, uh, problems with asthma and other associated uh, allergic type conditions, and things like frank allergies or non-allergic rhinitis can also implicate the nose and sinuses as uh, an end organ type of problem. Let's move on to, to management more, more deliberately now. What is the mainstay of management, would you say? So I'd say the mainstay for management is really medical management. And then when that fails, moving on to surgery. What we choose for our kind of first-line medical treatment does depend a little bit on whether we see those nasal polyps on examination. As I mentioned, with uh, polyps, they tend to be more responsive to steroids, both systemic steroids and topical steroids. When we have a patient with chronic rhinosinusitis without polyps, often we turn more to antibiotics. Now, this is considered an inflammatory condition, but often there is associated infection related to it. So usually that consists of several weeks, uh, meaning a prolonged course of the appropriate antibiotic and a nasal steroid spray to see if we can get improvement in their symptoms and their physical exam findings. And, and that's patient, patients without polyps, is that correct? Correct. When you see the polyps, then often we will add in, uh, it could be polyps or even just mild edema or swelling, which we think is going to be more responsive to steroids. In that setting, we may actually add on a systemic steroid, uh, either a burst and taper or a shorter pack, because we know that will shrink down that inflamed lining. Okay. And run through again, I know you mentioned this earlier briefly about next steps in patients who don't respond to these first-line treatments? Yeah, so usually we will think of other adjuvant things as well, other types of anti-inflammatories like leukotriene uh, inhibitors and things like that. You may use saline flushes, decongestants, and so on. But when all of that medical therapy fails and we see the patient in follow-up, we ask them again about those same symptoms that originally brought them in. 
How is your facial pressure? Are you still having drainage and post-nasal drip? Have you needed multiple rounds of antibiotics, perhaps, since we saw each other last? And then what do we see on examination? If those things all point to the fact that the patient is not significantly better, then we rely on the next step of evaluation, which is that gold standard CT scan of the sinuses. That scan shows us in great detail what the anatomy is inside the nose and sinuses, meaning the pathways that drain the sinuses. Are they patent or blocked? Are there polyps maybe that we didn't see on examination? And is there inflammation or trap mucus or pus that, again, we can't see with just even uh, a rigid nasal endoscopy? Okay, thank you. Tell us about any recent advances in management, if there have been any. Sure. There's been a lot of recent advances, actually. As you mentioned in your opening, chronic sinusitis is a very common condition. And so over the past uh, decade or two, there's been a lot of uh, innovation and uh, interest in trying to better diagnose and manage it. Uh, some of the more recent innovations include different types of nasal steroid topical delivery. A variety of different sprays have been uh, invented that get the steroid deeper and higher in the nasal cavity. We also turn to topical irrigations with antibiotics, steroids, and other medicines in there to try to help calm the disease process that's going on. Uh, we also have been noticing that in certain subset of patients with chronic sinusitis and nasal polyps, those that, for example, have asthma and also are sensitive to aspirin, known as AERD or aspirin exacerbated respiratory disease, aspirin desensitization, like you might go to your allergist to get shots, can also be helpful in management. Perhaps the biggest splash, however, over the past two years in the management of chronic sinusitis, specifically with nasal polyps, has been the introduction of biologics. These are monoclonal antibodies that target specific types of uh, molecules in the inflammatory pathway to try to shrink down and actually improve the quality of life of patients with polyps. Okay, thank you. Let's move on to pitfalls in management now this time. What are the common pitfalls in management of this disease? I think some of the pitfalls in management really is when to offer which of the options for treatment that we just mentioned. So we have these new agents, the biologics I mentioned, which have been shown to be effective, but are super, super expensive. We also know that once you put, on, put a patient onto these biologic agents, they need to be on them, we think, lifelong, because the studies have shown when you stop them, the polyps again swell up. So we're dealing with a chronic condition that's not curable. So often people will go from one modality of treatment, medical treatment, to another, a biologic, and then to another, for example, surgery, when even that is not the right choice for them. So I think importantly, when we're talking about pitfalls, is trying to look at the patient holistically, see what other issues they may have going on, like asthma, like aspirin sensitivity, like polyps, etc., and then through shared decision-making, come up with a game plan together for each individual patient. This type of individualized or targeted therapy, I think, gives the best uh, inform information to the patient and lets them decide at every juncture in their care what is the best next step. Okay, thank you. That's really clear. Last question is a question about questions. What other questions do you get asked about this disease? What, what have we missed? 
Yeah. I often get, you know, will surgery, for example, cure my problem or will I need another surgery? Uh, and that's a difficult one to answer. The short answer to will it cure your problem is unf unfortunately no. As I mentioned, this is a chronic incurable condition. So it's characterized by waxing and waning. I think the other thing that I think the lay per, uh, person may not appreciate is the very significant impact on quality of life that chronic sinusitis has. It's been shown to have poor quality of life in the order of what it feels like to have angina or COPD. So once thought of being just a drippy nose, we now know this to be a very serious medical condition that affects people's daily lives in the personal space and also their productivity potentially at work. So some of the things that we always want to point out is not just do you have this severe quality of life issue, but we have great treatment options. And surgery, especially now in the era of these fancy drugs and biologics, still is a mainstay for treatment. And surgery, which has been around for decades, is very safe, well tolerated, and has been shown to improve one's quality of life, improve one's productivity, and decrease the reliance on different types of medications. Unlike what people may have thought of surgery in the past, you come out without any cuts or bruises, we don't put any packing in the nose, you wake up and you go home the same day and usually are back to work literally in the order of days, uh, not weeks or anything like that. I think the one other thing that I often get questions about is, well, since it's such a common condition, not everyone ends up in an ENT doctor's uh, office, and that's very true. So when should you refer a patient to an otolaryngologist or an ENT doctor. And I have a couple of rules of thumb there. I think certainly if you suspect a recurrent or chronic type of infection or, or sinusitis picture, you should refer. If the symptoms are persistent or atypical, for example, unilateral symptoms, that's unusual for chronic sinusitis. Even when you have polyps, it's usually a bilateral issue, not a unilateral one. So unilateral nasal obstruction, unilateral pain, unilateral clear drainage, you should refer to an otolaryngologist. And certainly if they have any complications or imaging like a CT scan that shows persistent issues, you would want to refer as well. What can I offer or what can otolaryngologists offer? Well, we can fine tune the diagnosis and indeed establish the diagnosis through our ability to perform nasal endoscopy and to actually culture or sample the mucus or pus that we find within the sinus drainage pathways. That way we know what, what specific bug might be at play so we can get the right antibiotic for the right duration. As I mentioned, of course, we can rule out and indeed manage more sinister disease processes, tumors, etc., and we can escalate to medical therapy and even offer surgery when it's indicated. Okay, thank you very much, Raj, for that comprehensive answer. And thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and look at the content on this and other diseases. Thank you once again.